Good morning, everyone. Uh, let's, let's just pray. Lord, thank you so much for this worship, for this opportunity we have to just pour our lives out to you. It is good to be in your house to declare what a beautiful, what a wonderful name your name is, Lord Jesus, to declare that we are doing the same thing that the angels do in your presence, that the 24 elders do in your presence, that the cherubim and the seraphim and the saints in glory do in your presence each hour, each minute of every day, eternally. God, thank you so much. We worship you. It is good to be here. Thank you, Jesus. We pray it in your name. Amen. Uh, friends, I'm excited because uh, if you sense this feeling here today, um, I, my prayer and my prayer for several uh, weeks, uh, even months, has been that um, next week at, uh, on Pentecost, uh, you will, we will all sense it even more. Pentecost is the, the birthday of the church. It's uh, one of those times when we uh, really invite the Holy Spirit to be present in a powerful way and in the... Uh, all summer long, we're going to be uh, talking about the presence and the reality of the Holy Spirit. I hope that you will uh, be here next week for those services, but you'll also be here this summer for, the, for what God is doing. Uh, I think I can just get a taste of it today, and I pray that the Lord will be answering those prayers for his presence uh, starting next week. Well, let's open our Bibles together. I encourage you to open up to Matthew chapter 19. We're going to look at a couple verses there. Matthew 19, verses just 4 through 6, and then we're going to pop over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I encourage you to bring your Bibles to worship. You can also use the one in the pew. I encourage you to read your Bible every day. Uh, it's, it's food for the soul. Matthew 19, 4 through 6. Haven't you read, he replied, this is Jesus talking, haven't you read, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. If you're married, I hope those... Verses sound slightly familiar to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 1 through 9. Chapter 7, 1 through 9. This is Paul talking to the Corinthians. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring... Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife." Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. 
I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Friends, this is God's word for us today. God, thank you so much for your holy word. Speak to us through it. Help us as we explore one last time uh, this concept of uh, strengthening marriages. We pray that our hearts will be open to what you have to say. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is our uh, final sermon in our series, The Knot, Strengthening Marriages. And uh, we've talked about uh, boundaries and communication and priorities. And today, we're talking about proper expectations. Proper expectations for marriage. Did you know that there are expectations in marriage? If you didn't, you found out, didn't you? That's right. Kristen, uh, Pastor Kristen was recently at a, uh, a shop selling, that was selling soap, and they were uh, slicing up uh, little bits of it and, and handing it out uh, kind of uh, for free. And um, they, uh, they wanted her to come in and check out the, the whole bars that were in the shop. So she came in for the sales pitch, and there were hundreds of varieties. There were all different colors and all different fragrances, and they were beautiful, and they were like those clear bars you can see through. They were, you know, glycerin, and they had all this infusion with vitamins and junk and I don't even know what, and they're organic and, you know, the whole deal. And the lady is going on and on and on, and she, gets, she says, each bar will last for a whole year. And Kristen's like, oh, yeah, this is great. There is no sales price anywhere. You know what that means, right? <laughs> that when they finally let you know what it's going to be, it's going to be a whopper. That's a major red flag right there. Kristen's expectation was, with all this sales and with no sales price, when she finally tells me that it's $29.99 a bar, then I'm going to be a little shocked. I praise the Lord, Pastor Kristen did not purchase anything that day. <laughs> Friends, I want you to know there is no price tag on marriage. Beware. It's an expensive item. But unlike soap, it's totally worth it. I was uh, thinking about what am I trying to get at in this particular sermon? And what I want to to say is this, I, I want you to know that misinformation about marriage is incredibly deadly to marriages. And I, I so much want to just say, I, let's be informed about what it's all about so that we're not misinformed and we don't experience uh, the challenges or the difficulties, or, or, or we don't, we're not surprised when we experience those challenges and difficulties in marriage. I've seen way too many young couples glibly going into marriage thinking, this is going to be awesome the whole time. It is going to be awesome the whole time 
but in different ways than you think. I've seen too many married couples beating themselves up emotionally because they're struggling with their marriage. I've seen too many frustrated people walking away from marriage wondering what happened to the expectations that they had when they went in. Let's see what our scriptures have to say about marriage today. Matthew 19, 4 through 6. Jesus says, you're going to leave your father and your mother, your family of origin. He's quoting Genesis. You're going to be united with your spouse, and the two are going to become one flesh. They're no longer two, but one. It's a holy mystery. And he says, God joins people together. And when God joins people together, then let nobody separate them. Friends, God has an extremely high view of marriage. In the Old Testament, God uses marriage as a metaphor for his relationship with his chosen people, Israel. And when they're being honoring him and worshiping him, he's like... He says, it's like you're a spouse who's being faithful. And when they are abandoning him and worshiping the other gods, he says, it's it's like you're a spouse who's cheating on me. In the New Testament, marriage is used as a metaphor for Jesus' relationship with us, the church. We are called the bride of Christ. And Jesus works pretty hard, doesn't he, for his bride? He sacrifices himself in order to save us. And, and he, he expends spiritual energy on us to mold us and shape us to be his perfect bride. One of the purposes of marriage is to reflect that intimacy of Jesus in the church or God, God himself, the Godhead, God The Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We say the Trinity, the three are so close that they are one. In marriage, we say the two become one. That's reflecting the Godhead. It's reflecting what God does through uh, through what Jesus does to his church. Marriage is a covenant. It's a promise. It's a commitment to intentionally do life with this person in the most intimate and close manner possible. God, it says, has joined them together. Let no one separate them. Here's good news. You guys know Philippians 1, uh, 6. He who began a good work in you will carry it on until completion. God doesn't start good stuff without giving us what we need to complete it, but we have to cooperate with that. I know that there are many folks who have refused to cooperate with God in their marriage. Either one or both persons decides to bail out, to not work at the marriage. And the result is what many have experienced in, through divorce and loss of marriage. Marriage is hard work. Marriage is hard work, but the hard work is worth it. The hard work is worth it. One uh, friend was complaining to another, all my husband and I do anymore is fight. I've been so upset, I've lost 20 pounds. The friend says, well, if it's that bad, why don't you just leave him? She goes, well, I got another 15 pounds to lose first. 
Marriage is hard work. Marriage is hard work, but the hard work is worth it. I had a friend, Mark, in uh, college. He was a guy who was in incredible shape. He was just this uh, cardiovascular machine. He was on the soccer team. He led all the runs. Uh, He was always the first guy up the devil's back, which is a really steep uh, section of of trail. Um, And, you know, I used to be like, Mark, Mark, you run all the time. You're amazing at this. Um, Do you ever get to a point where it gets easier? He's like, no. He goes, "I, I get faster and I can go farther. But it's never easier. It's always hard work. That kind of took me back. I thought, well, surely this guy, you know, it gets easy. It doesn't. It doesn't get easy. And I think any of us have probably experienced that when we've been working on something for a long time. Eugene Peterson says that your spiritual life is a long obedience in the same direction. I want to suggest that your marriage life is the same. A long obedience in the same direction. There are some days when it is wonderful. And you're like, man, we are cruising. This is awesome. We're so in sync. Everything's working. And there are other days when you're just slogging through it. You are slogging through it. It reminds me when I was hiking on the Appalachian Trail. There were some days where it was like, oh, so beautiful. I can't believe these views. Everything's great. And there are other days where your head is down and it's mud all day and it's rain all day. We used to just say to ourselves, no rain, no pain, no mane. So just get out of bed and go. It wasn't bed either. It was your sleeping bag. Put your wet clothes back on and get going. That's the way it was. But you see, shouldn't marriage be an easy thing? Shouldn't marriage be a delight? I mean, shouldn't we be saying, yes, get married. It's going to be wonderful. Well, yes, get married. It is going to be wonderful, but in different ways than you probably suggest, uh, suspect. If we look at our other scripture, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 9, Paul here is responding to questions that the Corinthians have sent him. They've probably sent him a letter And they've asked him these pointed questions. And from his responses, we only have sort of one side of the conversation, but from his responses, we can determine that certainly issues of sexual activity have have come up. And some of those have been activity within marriage and, and outside of marriage, and what does Paul think? And Paul makes it very clear. He says sexual activity should only be happening in a marriage, And he's also pretty clear that marriage is only between a man and a woman. Just throwing that out there. But beyond this, we get some insights into some proper expectations that a couple should have for their marriage. For instance, married couples should be sexually intimate. That's right. You might be like, no, duh. But... Maybe you're not, because sometimes, as Pat Benatar said back in the 80s, stop using sex as a weapon. Anybody been there? Any hands? No. Raise their hands. (laughs) This is, of course, assuming that there are no physical limitations or other issues of danger or manipulation involved. You're supposed to be sexually active in your marriage. Both partners 
are to yield the authority over their own body to the other partner. The woman to the man and the man to the woman. There's, Paul's completely clear on that. You don't have authority over your body, your partner does. Well, what does that mean? Well, let's just say it means trust, right? And listening and sensitivity and gentleness and recognizing that it's not about what you can get out of it. It's about what you can give to the other person. It's that self-giving, that sharing of life. It involves willingness on your part and also effort, work. There's no manipulation. There's no capitulation. Look here, my big point is this. Even with issues of sexual activity, which is something that most people are pretty interested in participating in, okay, it still takes a lot of challenging work to make a marriage successful. Even in the area of sexual activity, it's not automatic. And if it's not automatic for an area that most everybody is pining to participate in, what about all the areas where you're not pining to participate? Like the dishes. I never am pining to participate in dishwashing. I just want you to know that. But it is part of my marriage. Because marriage is hard work. But the hard work is worth it. One woman said, my husband and I attended a bridal fair trying to drum up work for his fledgling wedding photography business. One vendor assumed that we were engaged and asked when the big day was. Oh, we've been married for 10 years, she said. Really? But you look so happy. (laughs) Marriage is hard work. But think about when you've done something really hard and you've done it well. That sense of satisfaction can come through in a marriage even so much more than a project or something at work. Here's some of the misinformation that I want to address. You have to get married to be a whole person. That is a lie. That is a lie. You can be a whole person and never be married. And you want to know the number one reason I know that? Because Jesus was the most whole person there ever was. And he was never married. And he was not sexually active. And he had the most fulfilling life that was ever lived. It's part of our culture that says this must happen. But friends, I don't want you to believe it. Because if you do and you're not married, where does that leave you? In a bad place. You don't have to be in that place. A fulfilling whole life is available outside of marriage. Secondly, you have to find your soulmate. Anybody watch The Bachelor or The Bachelorette? Oh, they are looking for soulmates. Thank you, young people, for laughing. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, it's like watching a train wreck. I, 
it's kind of fascinating. It's kind of gross at the same time. <laughs> and it's kind of sad. I mean, it makes, sometimes it makes me mad. Sometimes it just annoys me. Sometimes I'm like, wow, it's a train wreck. Gerald Tolkien, um, the guy who wrote The Lord of the Rings, was a, he was a great Christian man. He was in love with his wife, Edith, from her teens until she died when she was 82. He wrote a great letter to his son about marriage. This is what he said. Only a very wise man at the end of his life could make a sound judgment concerning whom, amongst the total possible chances, he ought to have most profitably married. Only when you're old and you've had your whole life to think about it, would you maybe have a chance to know who you best should have married? He goes on, nearly all marriages, even happy ones, are mistakes. In the sense that almost certainly in a more perfect world, or even with a little more care in this very imperfect world, both partners might have found more suitable mates. But here's his point. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that there might be some more perfect person out there. See, because if you go into your marriage thinking that, then you're always looking around going, well, you know, I got a pretty good one here, but maybe there, no. That is not a healthy place for your marriage. Since no one is perfect, you will always be left looking. It's not about finding the one. Tolkien viewed married couples as this, companions in shipwreck. (laughs) That's a pretty (laughs) amazing statement. He said, your companions in shipwreck, there's going to be hard times, but who would you rather be with through the difficulty? To find yourselves crawling to shore saying, we made it. And we're even more bonded than before. His point, son, you'll work it out. Whoever you marry, God can cause that to be the one. You don't have to have the pressure of always looking. A woman said to her sister-in-law, that she suddenly, with shock and horror, realized that they'd both been married 50 years. That's a long time, she said. A long, long time. And she smiled. You know, something just occurred to me. Her sister-in-law says, what's that? She said, if I killed your brother the first time I felt like it, I'd be out of jail now. Here's another misnomer. You complete me. Nope. Not true. Only God. Only God can complete you. The ancients believed uh, that Zeus, in order to keep human beings humble, uh, split them all in two when they were first uh, made so that you had to spend your life looking for your other half. I mean, it's kind of depressing. You complete me is not true. God completes you. God completes you. God alone can do that. 
You have to have children. Here's another misnomer. You have to have children to make a marriage complete. Nonsense. Nonsense. Children are a beautiful gift from God, but they are not a requirement for a marriage to be whole. Genesis 1.28 says, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and rule over the earth. Take care of the earth. Procreation, be fruitful and multiply, that's part of it. But it's not the only part for the original couple and for all couples. Also, take care. Take care of the world around you. Take care of the people around you. Take care of all around you. In other words, rule in a loving, gracious way. There's more, is my point, to marriage than just procreation. Jesus never says it as part of his description of marriage. The Bible does not indicate that lack of children is a reason for divorce. Somebody should have told that to Henry VIII when he was divorcing and beheading wives left and right. He was looking for children, specifically a son. Here's another myth. You can fall out of love. You can fall out of love. So many people believe. Some folks like to write their own wedding vows. And I say, you can write your own wedding vows as long as I approve them. If I'm doing your wedding. If you're doing your own wedding, good luck. Have a nice day. <laughs> but if I'm doing it, you can write your own vows, but I have to approve them. As long as we both shall love is not a correct wedding vow. That one's scary. Going along with, we'll always read good books together. One that I experienced once. I don't know. Maybe not. If that's what you think about marriage, that you can fall out of love, then you fundamentally misunderstood the nature of love itself. Love is self-sacrificial living. Love is giving up your rights for the betterment of someone else. Love is loving your neighbor as yourself. I mean, the catch there is you're supposed to love yourself. That means you appropriately should not be putting up with abuse or that kind of thing. There's reasons why people leave marriages that are, that are um, good reasons. But you're also supposed to love your neighbor as yourself, and your marriage partner is your closest neighbor. Marriage, friends, is not for personal fulfillment. That is so different than what probably most of us have thought about marriage or, or heard from others. Marriage is not for personal fulfillment. Fulfillment is one of the fruits of a strong marriage, but it's not one of the foundations. Your strong marriage is a huge blessing to you, but to also many around you, even to the community that you live in. Marriage is a, a huge stabilizing force in our world. It provides for stable family units, for a safe place for children to be raised, for a place for safe sexual expression, as an economic stabilizer, as a place for God to knock the rough edges of selfishness off of us. Yes, that's a huge part of marriage. And as a place where we reflect the Godhead, where we, uh, in a sense, uh, have a little image of what it is 
like the intimacy of God. For richer, for poorer, we say, in sickness and in health. Why? Because richness and poorness comes, and so does sickness, and so does health. And we are there as long as we both shall live, not love. Love is a choice. You can love every day. Living will come to an end, but loving doesn't need to. You can love every day. Robert Bauer says, marriage is more than just a biological act, a legal contract, an economic arrangement with all the personal and social and property and inheritance rights of the partners and also the children. There's a divine element as well. And here he thinks back on that verse we read. God joins people together. It's a sacred covenant. Marriage is hard work, but marriage is so worth it. The hard work is worth it because the joy that comes from living that closely to someone else, being that intimate, doing life with someone else in that way is a beautiful and wonderful thing. And God cares about your marriage, friends. God cares about your marriage and can give you the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome any obstacle. I truly believe that. God gives the power, his power, to overcome any obstacle you might face. So expect to need God in all aspects of your marriage. Proper expectation is that it's going to be tough, but it's going to be worth it. You're going to need God and expect to need him all over the place. All over the place. Don't leave any area out. Talk to God about everything. The easy parts of your marriage and the hard parts. Thank God every day for this person who's in your life. For the times that they make your life so easy and the times that they make your life so challenging. For the times when you get along seamlessly and for the times when you struggle together. Invite God in. And it is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Simple ways to do that. Just pray together. Intentionally pray together. Throughout the day. Make times when you know you will do that. At meals. Or together in the morning or in the evening. Sometimes. It's the same advice for a couple as it is for a church. If there are challenges, if there are hard times, stay and pray. Don't walk and talk. Stick with your partner. Pray your way through it. The hard work of some of the previous sermons we've talked about here, boundaries, drawing clear lines and not crossing them, communication, listening, Listening and listening some more and remembering that 70-30 principle and priorities, putting your spouse first. I talked with a guy once many years ago. He came and he couldn't figure out why he was not getting along with his wife and it turned out that he poured out all his troubles to his mom and dad. They were close living together and that, that was his emotional support system. His wife wasn't part of it. His priorities were out of whack. You have to do the hard work of putting the other person first. People need to know this stuff so they won't be caught off guard. They won't be shocked. Engaged couples will have an idea of what to expect. It's going to be wonderful, and it's going to be really hard, but it'll be worth it. Married couples will not wonder what's wrong when they have to work so hard. And when it's still hard years later, when you still have to bite your tongue and humbly say, yeah, I was wrong at that time. 
Single people won't be surprised that married friends are struggling and won't be tempted to be the commiserating friend who reinforces that it must be wrong because it's so hard. Friends, proper expectations come down to this. Marriage is hard work, but the hard work is worth it. I've been married to Pastor Kristen for 25 years. 25 long. No, no, that's great. It's great. Just kidding. No, it's been, it's been great. It's been wonderful. It has not been easy. I mean, we've worked hard to listen. What, what are you saying to me? Man, I got to, oh, you're right. I do need to change that about myself. I mean, we've worked hard. The result is wonderful. I wouldn't trade it for the world. It's totally worth it. God cares about your marriage and can give you the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome any obstacle. Friends, hard work. That's your number one expectation, but totally worth it. Let's pray together. God, thank you for putting us into marriages. Thank you for giving us proper boundaries and allowing us to communicate and allowing us to figure out what our priorities are. And now as we think about expectations, may our number one expectation be this will be hard, but it will be worth it. I pray for every marriage here. I pray for those who are about to be married that as they experience that, there will be great joy. Pray for those who've been married for a little while or a long while as they're working through challenges, that the joy will override the struggle and that the hard work will be seen as worth it. And I pray for those who have lost spouses, who have never been married, or who are single for divorce or any other reason, that you will encourage and bless and comfort and just fulfill them as well. Lord, we pray that your presence and your power in our marriages will be welcomed every day and every hour and that we will be people who are willing to do the hard work to receive the great reward. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.